0: Welcome to the Breath Magazine podcast. Learn more about Breath Magazine and sign up for our newsletter to receive the latest news and updates at our website, breathmagazine.com. And now for today's episode. We're continuing with our series on Romans. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Romans chapter 1. In this episode, we're going to deal with verses 3 and 4. Now, just to get a flavor of what three and four are about, let's start with verse one and the beginning of the letter. Paul writes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be. Son of God, with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that is from the NRSV. Like I did in the other episode, I've written my own literal translation, and this is what my translation sounds like. Holy writings concerning the Son of Him the one having come from the seed of David according to the flesh, having been set out Son of God in power according to a spirit of holiness by a resurrection of dead ones, Jesus Christ, the Lord of us. Now, at first blush, there doesn't seem to be too much difference between the NRSV or my literal translation, but if you notice in the NRSV, it starts out, verse 3 starts out, saying the gospel concerning his son. Well, when you go back to the Greek, um, the words the gospel aren't in the Greek. What you have is in the Greek, holy writings concerning the son of him or concerning his son. I think the NRSV translators inserted uh, the words the gospel in verse 3, in a way to save Paul from saying that the scriptures were about Jesus Christ, or the Old Testament scriptures were about Jesus Christ. So they say, well, it's the gospel concerning his son, but actually, when you read the Greek, and if you were listening in Rome to Paul's letter, you would hear holy writings concerning his son. And that's one thing that verse 3 and 4 voc- focus on, and that is the Old Testament foundation of Jesus Christ. That the Old Testament scriptures are actually a witness of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to show you this just in a nutshell. Um, keep your thumb there in Romans and turn over to 1 Corinthians 15. You know, while you're turning there, let's just take a step back and think about this. You know, when we go to church, when we hear sermons on TV or on the radio, wherever we hear them, most of the time when we hear scriptures about the Old Testament, they're about Old Testament stories, whether it's David and Goliath, something happening to King David, uh, whether it is... um, Daniel in the lion's den, um, Joseph, or something like that. And if you look at the context or the substance of the sermons, they really don't have anything to do with Jesus Christ, per se. Um, Usually, Old Testament scripture is used as some kind of, you know, morality tale of, well, this guy obeyed God, so we should obey God. But what Paul does here is, in the first part of Romans, is he sets out the fact that the Old Testament scriptures actually testified of Jesus. Now in 1 Corinthians 15, let's read verses 3 through 4, Paul writes, For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance. With the scriptures. Now, scriptures to him was the Old Testament. Uh, You go back to the Greek, and it's in according to the writings that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So we see here Paul writing set to uh, the Corinthian Christians saying, Well, when you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament testifies that Jesus was supposed to die, be buried, and raised on the third day. Now, go from there. Let's go over to Romans 15, 3, and I want to show you how this works, Um, how really we should be reading portions of the Old Testament. And one good example is Psalms. You know, today in Psalms, or today with Psalms, uh, we use Psalms as kind of like an emotional lift, you know. Um, on one hand, there are some Psalms that praise the Lord and give glory to God's name, and we use those to kind of lift us up. Then you have other Psalms where they seem kind of dark and deep, and we use those to to kind of imp empathize with our situation when really uh, neither one of those perspectives is right or correct. You know, let's look at the Psalms like Paul did as a witness to the Lord, uh, a witness to the Lord's work, to what he did and what he's going to be. And in Romans 15, 3, This is an example of what I'm talking about. Paul writes, for Christ did not please himself. He's speaking to the Roman Christians, telling them how to live, and he says Christ didn't please himself. And then he goes on and says, but as it is written, meaning back in the Old Testament, back in the Hebrew scriptures, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Well, that's a quote from Psalm 69 9. Now look at Paul's context. For Christ didn't please himself because it's written, The insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Well, David wrote that psalm, but he's writing the words, according to Paul, of Jesus Christ himself. Psalm 69 is a witness of Jesus. And if you want to do a cross-reference, the Gospels and Paul's epistles quote Psalm 69 some three or four times, and each time, uh, different scriptures are attributed to Jesus. And this is just one example of how the Old Testament scriptures are really a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to uh, Romans 1-3. And I'm going to go in and out of my own literal translations instead of the NRSV. Okay, 1-3 says, Holy writings concerning the Son of Him, the One having come from the seed of David according to the flesh. Now let's stop there. We don't hear too much about Jesus being of the seed of David and what the import of that is. You know, we hear that Jesus was Jewish and it pretty much stops there. You know, you see the bumper sticker saying, you know, my savior is a Jewish carpenter or something like that. And, and really, we, we don't hear anything more than that. And that's really our fault because it's all there in the Old Testament. Uh, what I want to do is I want to dissect, go back to the Old Testament of why Paul, why has he put that in here? Why is he referred to Jesus as the one having come from the seed of David according to the flesh? What's the import of that? Now, in the last episode, I said, you know, I said that I asked people The question of why did Jesus have to be Jewish and most people don't know. And that's because they don't understand God's narrative of redemption all the way back to his promise to Abraham all the way through the resurrection. Well, this is going to be part of it. To see what kind of import it is for uh, Paul to say that Jesus is from the seed of David. Let's go back to um, 1 Samuel 19, and I'm going to do this in kind of like two stages. One, I want you to see what it means to be under a king or what it meant back then. These days, we don't have hardly any kings. We've got a few in Africa, um, some kings there. But most of our governments are based upon some kind of form of democracy, some kind of parliamentary system, or something like that. They didn't have that back in Old Testament days. They had kings. And one truth or one one aspect of kingship is that the king represented the people, and the people represented the king. And we're going to see that in 1 Samuel 19. I'm going to read from uh, verse 42. All the people of Judah answer the people of Israel. Because the king is near of kin to us, why then are you angry over this matter? But the people of Israel answer the people of Judah. We have ten shares in the king, and in David also we have more than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king. But the words of the people of Judah were fiercer than the words of the people of Israel. Now a scoundrel named Sheba, son of Bekri, a Benjaminite, happened to be there. He sounded a trumpet and cried out, We have no portion in David, no share in the son of Jesse. Everyone to your tents, O Israel." Now, what I want to show here or the takeaway here is what uh, Sheba says at the very last portion of this passage. He says, we have no portion in David, no share in the son of Jesse, everyone to your tents, O Israel. You know, what he's getting at here is they are disowning the king. Uh, You go up earlier in the passage and you see that uh, the people of Israel say that we have ten shares in the king. See, a king represented his people in the in the people and the king. It's kind of one and the same. And when we fast forward to the future, we know that Jesus is going to establish a kingdom on the earth, and it's going to be the same then as it was back here. That. We have shares in him. We are in him. We are in Christ, our king, and he is in us. Now go over to 1 Kings twelve 16. We're going to see pretty much the very same thing. That verse says, When all Israel saw that the king would not listen to them, the people answered the king, What share do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents o israel look now to your own house o david and here you have people trying to disown the king again saying that we have no inheritance in this king we are not part of him so one aspect of paul writing to the romans and calling jesus the one having come from the seed of david according to the flesh Is this aspect of kingship? That Jesus is the king. He's king by resurrection, and he will come back as king, and we have a portion in him. Now, let's go to the second part, because the second part of uh, this aspect of David is actually more important, more concrete. David is the progenitor of the Messiah. Um, God made a covenant with David about David's offspring. Um, Turn over to 2 Samuel 7, and we're going to read from there. We're going to read through a, a couple Old Testament scriptures about David so you can see what Paul has in his mind when he says, this man, this one, coming from the seed of David, according to the flesh. He's setting up an Old Testament fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Um, In our modern minds, you know, we kind of skip over this, but this is pretty heavy language. This is a, a pretty dramatic thing that Paul is writing here to the Romans. So in 2 Samuel 7, we'll start at verse 11. It's kind of truncated there. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel... And I will give you rest from all your enemies. This is a prophecy that the prophet Nathan is speaking to David, to King David. I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come forth from your body and I will establish his kingdom. There's David's natural seed, natural DNA. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Think of how this resonates with what Paul is writing to the Romans about the one coming from the seed of David. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod, such as mortals use, and with blows inflicted by human beings. This statement here is about the crucifixion. But Listen to what he says. But I will not take my steadfast love from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. It says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now think of this prophecy, this covenant to David, in going back to Romans 1-3, when Paul writes, this one coming from the seed of David according to the flesh. He's echoing this covenant right here. Now turn over to Psalm 89. We're going to see more of this covenant more of the echo. And one thing about Romans is there's all kinds of Old Testament echoes that weave in and out of what Paul's writing to those Christians. In Psalm 89.1, listen to the first four verses. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth, I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations I will declare your steadfast love is established forever and your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Now the thing about Psalm 89, we don't know exactly who wrote it. But notice that in verse 3 he writes you said i have made a covenant with my chosen one i have sworn to my servant david that's an echo of the lord jesus christ that's a prefiguration of him like we saw in romans 15:3 now let's go down to verse 35 Once and for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His line shall continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It shall be established forever like the moon, an enduring witness in the skies. Now compare that again to what Paul writes in Romans. The one having come from the seed of David according to the flesh, or according to flesh. God made this covenant to David that his offspring, someone with his DNA, would sit on David's throne forever and ever. And Paul says, that one is Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that you can see just about the Psalms and how they are a witness of the Lord. The very next verse, verse 38, says this, but now you have spurned and rejected him and you are full of wrath against your anointed. With that verse, he's not speaking about David. He's speaking about the Lord. He's speaking about the crucifixion and how Jesus bore our sins on the cross. And remember when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he cry out that way? Well, when you go to Deuteronomy, You see that any Israelite that was hung on a tree was cursed of God. And that pertains to Jesus. Jesus was an Israelite. So on the cross, he was cursed. And here, verse 38, is a reference to that period of time. But now you have spurned and rejected him. You are full of wrath against your anointed. That's because Jesus took within himself our sins became a curse for us. Now, go over to Isaiah 11. We've got two more references, and they're a little bit long, Um, but the reason why I'm reading these is twofold. One is, on an episode like this, we're not limited as to time, so I can read these, and you can stop and listen anytime you want. But the second reason is, if I just give you the references, you might not go back and hear them and see how these undergird Paul's statement about the one having come um, from the seed of David and how important that is in the context that Paul is writing in Romans. So in Isaiah 11, 1 through 10, we see the same kind of prophecy about David about the Lord's promise to David. It says, A shoot shall come up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, and the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what His ears hear, but with righteousness, now keep that word in mind for later on. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. Now, Isaiah skips to his kingdom, the kingdom of this root of Jesse. And he says, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and lion and the falling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now listen to the last line. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious. See, this is part of the prophecy or part of the covenant to David. It's a prophecy about his offspring assuming the throne. And it's the backdrop for what Paul opens up with Romans in Romans 1.3. Okay, the very last um, portion of the Old Testament that we want to go through is in Jeremiah 33. Go ahead and turn over there. And you're going to see how this is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it's in terms of what's coming for David, the branch from David or the root from Jesse. Starting with verse 14, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David. See, a righteous branch, a seed. And he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The next line. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings and to make grain offerings and to make sacrifices all the time. Now let's stop there for just a minute. Think about that. The Lord talks about a king forever over the house of Israel and a priest forever before him we see that in the lord jesus we see that he is king of kings and every knee shall bow to his name at the end of the age but we also see especially in in the book of hebrews that is he is the indestructible priest the writer of hebrews goes through the old testament and says there were death-doomed priests you know who served before the Lord, but it was an imperfect arrangement uh, where a priest, a high priest, would be appointed, but then he was subject to death, and he would die, and another one would take his place. Well, when Jesus was resurrected, uh, Hebrew says that God anointed him as high priest of the new covenant. And here you see how... uh, His priesthood fulfills this prophecy all the way back in Jeremiah 33. That the Levitical priests, those death-doomed priests, shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings and to make grain offerings and to make sacrifices all the time. Now let's read on. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord. If any of you could break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night would not come at their appointed time, only then could my covenant with my servant David be broken, so that he would not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with my ministers, the Levites. Just as the stars of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, So I will increase the offspring of my servant, David, and the Levites who minister to me. Well, um, you get to that last line. So I will increase the offspring of my servant, David. Well, that's us. That's all of the us in the body of Christ. And he says "And the Levites who minister to me, we are a royal priesthood. So, when we go through the rest of Romans, we're going to see how all this is played out in Paul's thinking, but what I'm trying to get to you today is when Paul opens up this letter and says, the one having come from the seed of David according to flesh, it's just not a small line of, um, it's not like Jesus's driver's license, where he says, okay, this is the guy I'm talking about. He's saying something a whole lot more. This is... this is the one whom God made a covenant with, with David. This is the one who is fulfilling that covenant. This is the man who is fulfilling everything that God had said to David in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Second in Samuel, in Psalms, and everywhere else in the Old Testament. Um, Paul's little phrase, his... his sentence fragment, really, is just pregnant with Old Testament scripture and Old Testament foundation. Now, let's go back to Romans 1, 3, and uh, my translation has it, the one having come from the seed of David according to the flesh. Let's just deal with according to the flesh. When you go over to Galatians 4, Uh, Paul writes this in verses 4 through 5, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. Notice that Jesus was born under the law. He's an Israelite, and he's an Israelite in part because of what God promised David, that there would be a king Forever over the house of Israel. Now, at this point in the letter, we might think, okay, well, that's great for natural Israel or ethnic Israel, but what about the rest of us? We're going to see through Paul's letter to the Romans that this prophecy, this house of Israel, is really extended to all the Israelites who are believers and all Gentiles who are believers. It includes, really, the whole world. It's not just limited to one country. And think back to God's promise to Abraham. He didn't say, I'd make you the father of a nation. I've made you the father of many nations. And Paul, through Romans, goes and breaks down that promise to explain exactly how that's fulfilled in Jesus saving the whole world. Now, let's go, let's go to the rest of verse 4, 3, and 4. It said, The one having come from the seed of David according to the flesh, I have having been set out, Son of God, in power, according to a spirit of holiness by a resurrection of dead ones, Jesus Christ, the Lord of us. If you look at the NRSV and some other translations, they have declared to be the Son of God with power. And that word declared actually in the Greek means appointed or set out. It doesn't mean declared. The the translators in the NRSV and some of the other translations wrestle with this word because In the Greek, it means set out or define the boundaries of. It doesn't mean declared. But here was their problem. Their thinking was, well, Jesus was always the Son of God since before creation. He never didn't become the Son of God. And so in Paul's letter here, when he's talking about the resurrection, what do we do with this word that means set out, marked out, or defined? son of god. And they said, well, their thinking is, well, once he was resurrected, then God just affirmed that he was God's son. And he just did it more formally. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul actually uses the um he uses a Greek word Let me find it. horisthentos It's a Greek participle, and uh, you go back to the historical Greek documents of the age, and it means divide, separate from, or marked out. What Paul is saying is the resurrection, the act of Jesus being resurrected, marked him out, the Son of God in power. Now, you might be asking, well, what do you mean by that? In modern Christianity, we have put all the emphasis on the cross. And the cross, yes, it was necessary. Yes, Jesus had to go to the cross. He had to be crucified that way. He had to be condemned that way. But that's not the end of what his work of redemption was. The end of his work of redemption was on the third day when, when God raised him from the dead. When he was crucified on the cross, he took within himself our sin. And when you go over to Hebrews, I believe it's 2.9, the variant reading says, he died having been separated from God. You know, when, you, when an Israelite was crucified on the cross, he was cursed of God, and Jesus became cursed of God himself. And he was because he took our sin within himself. He didn't commit any sin. He was the perfect sacrifice, but the sin was laid upon him. And it wasn't until he was resurrected that he was reunited with the Father. He was exiled from the Father from the time he died on the cross until Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And when he was resurrected... He was resurrected in power, and that's what Paul is referring to here. He was having been set out, Son of God, in power according to a spirit of holiness by a resurrection of dead ones. That spirit of holiness is Jesus' own spirit being recreated in life by the Father. Now, let's go through some scripture that kind of sets that out so we can kind of wrap our mind around it. Um, Have your Bibles. Go over to, well, let's go over to Hebrews 1 because this pretty much sets it out. We can do a bunch of um, other references, but Hebrews sets it out really well. Now, keep in mind here that Paul in Romans goes from this man, this one, this Israelite, having come from the seed of David all the way to the resurrection. From the seed of David, basically being born seed of David, to the resurrection. He doesn't mention the cross in here. Like I said, the cross is vitally important, but the emphasis is on who he was, what he became by virtue of the resurrection. Now in Hebrews 1 5, let's start um let's start reading all the way through verse 9. Here the um the writer is speaking about how majestic, how terrific, how fantastic Jesus is compared to angels, compared to Moses, because he's writing to Hebrew Christians and he's marking out the difference. And he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants flames of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, remember when I said, watch that word righteousness about the prophecy of David's offspring in his kingdom, because you see it fulfilled right here. This is what God the Father spoke to Jesus upon resurrection. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And when you compare that to Paul in Romans 1, 3, it's, it's, you are my son, today I have marked you out, today I have defined you, today I have begotten you. It's all in reference to the resurrection. Now, hold your thumb there, and let's go over to, let's just prove this out. Uh, Go over to Acts 13. And here, uh, here you're going to see Paul, he's speaking to Jews. He's preaching to Jews about Jesus. And he refers to Psalm 2, which is what we just quoted in Hebrews 1.5, the cross-reference. And he says this. this. This is so cool when you see it. And we bring to you the good news that what God promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children. Now let's stop there. What God promised our ancestors. We see... In the first part of Romans, God's promise to David. We're going to see later in Romans, God's promise to Abraham and how those anchor the whole plan of redemption. Everything that God did in order to save us. And Peter sees that, he's got the revelation of it. And he says to his fellow Jews, And we bring you the good news that what God promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us their children, and here it is, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Theologians don't like that, because they say, well, Jesus was always God's son. Well, yes, he was, but there was a period of time where he became sin and was exiled from the Father. And that's the period from his death on the cross to his resurrection. And when God resurrected him on the third day, he says to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. You see that Peter's quotation of the second psalm is all about the resurrection. And that is the backdrop that we have in Romans 1.3. You wouldn't think with just a couple sentences, you'd have so many cross-references, so many echoes, so many prophecies, but actually that's the way the whole book of Romans is written. And when we read it, uh, we need to hear those echoes, we need to remember those prophecies because Paul's words are pregnant with them. He is not just an apostle to the Gentiles in the sense of, well, go preach some good news. He is an apostle to the Gentiles to show how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophecies and all the holy scriptures that God brought down to Israel. And when we get further in the book of Romans, we're going to see that he talks about the real Jews, and that includes us, Gentiles. And he talks about two kinds of Israel, and we are part of the Israel of God. And so all these Old Testament scriptures actually pertain to us. They're not just for the small nation of ethnic Israel. Um, Ethnic Israel was entrusted with them, but they were meant for the entire world. So we see that things... Things come full circle. Jesus is the Messiah and the one in whom God's people find their identity and salvation. Messiah should mean something to us, even though we're not ethnically Jewish. And we go back to the holy writings concerning his son, and we see how God has been faithful to Israel the entire time all through the Old Testament. Now let me read. Um, let me read this one scripture to wrap up this episode. First Corinthians fifteen twenty through twenty two, Paul writes. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being or through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made made alive in Christ. Now, when you read that and hear that, now you see that this Christ, this Messiah, had his had its beginnings all the way back to what uh, God promised Abraham, and enlarged on that promise through David and the nation of Israel. And that's what we're going to see in the rest of Romans. We're going to see how all of that is brought out and how God has been so righteous and so faithful to his promises that we, the rest of the world, could be saved through them. So that's the end of this episode. Um, watch again for verses, um, for the next episode of Romans 1, verses 5 and 6. I'll see you then. Bye-bye.